You're listening to The Collected Podcast, bringing you inspiration and resources to help you discover and live from your truest self. The Collected Podcast is a production of Collected Ministries, a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping disciples of Jesus discover and live from their true identity in Christ, recognize and walk in their divine purpose within the kingdom of God, and experience growth in their capacity for mature, healthy relationships. Follow Collected on social media at Collected Ministries, and be sure to visit thecollectedpodcast.com for show notes and additional content related to today's episode. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 14 of The Collected Podcast. I'm your host, Jess Biondo, and this week I'm so excited to welcome Kat Armstrong to the show. And she is an author, a speaker, a podcaster, and her newest book, I believe it's her second book, just came out called The In-Between Place, Where Jesus Changes Your Story. So Kat, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm so glad to be here. This is like the best way to kind of end a Tuesday. This is it. Right? I know. I agree. I was looking forward to this all day. These conversations are very life-giving to me, and I hope they are to our listeners as well. Um, So as we dive in, I was wondering if you could start by sharing your story as deep as you'd like to go of what led you to writing this book and kind of the heart behind the book. and just how you discovered this message that God has laid on your heart. Yeah, I was in Israel on a Bible tour to study women in the Bible with a small group of women. And for this particular organization, they've been taking groups to the Holy Land for decades. And yet this is the first time just that they had on an all-female group and that at all the site visits, we would talk primarily about women of the Bible. Of course, Mm. you know, the greats came up, but we were there to study women of the Bible. And I remember looking, we were overlooking modern-day Samaria and it's beautiful. I mean, it's just stunning. And it was Mother's Day. And I remember the wind blowing through my curls and overlooking this beautiful place and thinking this just, it looks like Eden. And the speaker that day who was leading the devotional said, we're going to talk about Dinah. And I was trying to remember her story. It's really tragic. It's in Genesis 34 and she's abused and taken advantage of. It's really tragic chapter of the Bible. And so I was trying to like, you know, I haven't studied her a lot. And then the tour guide got up, Jess, and he said, Yes, so Dr. Reese is going to talk about Dinah. And this is also where the woman at the well story would have happened. And I remember in that moment thinking, oh my gosh, are we like in the geographical area where these two women's stories, you know, and all this space between and time between their stories. And yet that's where they took place. And so that was on my mind when I wrote the book. And I was also grieving my father's death. My dad had struggled with a lifetime of substance abuse and mental illness, untreated. And, you know, before he passed, he had suicidal ideation regularly, and he did attempt to take his life. The wounds he inflicted on himself put him in the ICU for several weeks, and ultimately he passed because of those wounds. Mm-hmm. And so death by suicide, well, it rocks you. Yeah. It rocks a family. It rocks a marriage. Um and yeah, I mean, as you can tell, even just from my my disposition right now, as you're looking at me in this conversation, it changed me. So I was, mm. I had, was grieving his death. It had been a year and I was in Israel um, when we 
celebrated his life and also honored his passing the year before. And so I was just in a really in-between place emotionally. When you go through something so traumatic um, and you're going through grief, you uh, the whole world keeps going, Jess. Uh, you know, like yeah. people go to work, kids go to school um, or virtual school in a pandemic. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? I mean, life goes on and you kind of feel like you just slow down and mm. stop. Right. And so it's a very interesting in between liminal space where you're like, I've got to keep moving forward. I know things are going to get better. I know it won't always feel this tender, this raw. Mm -hmm. I know that. I know that I'll heal. I know that I'll move on. Um, But there will always be some of me that's missing now. And I always miss my daddy. Right. I think about him all the time. Mm -hmm. So I was in a really in between place, is what I call it. And I was stuck in really yucky feelings. And then there I was in modern day Samaria in the Holy Land, thinking about Dinah's in between situation, thinking about the woman at the wells in between situation, and then realizing that sometimes the places in our life where we experience things, they become like that liminal space. We feel stuck there. I call it stuckville. And for me, that was my dad's ICU room. He was in the ICU for two weeks and visiting him just was so hard. It just, I didn't visit him enough. I now regret that deeply. But at the time, it just, it was so taxing and so hard to see him suffering and to ride this roller coaster with the doctors of he's better, he's not, he he's saying the right things, he doesn't want to live. I mean, it just, it felt like a very in-between place. And I felt like I was in between his life and death. And ultimately I was. Um, And I think we see this happen in the Bible. So that's why I wrote this book, The In-Between Place, because geographical geographical parts of the biblical, biblical narrative become almost like symbols. They're so important. And Jesus goes to a place called Sychar, Um, And it's the same place where Dinah would have been abused. And I think there's a lot of meaning in that. I think Jesus revisits places in our life that are wounded or need healing. And he brings his presence, which we know heals people. And um, so that's my book is about, it's really about the woman at the wells experience and in an in-between place. And I connect her story to Dinah. And I'm probably doing a terrible job of explaining the book, but that's what it's about. No, you're doing an excellent job. Um, so along those lines, can can you share a little bit more about the correlation that you drew between Dinah and the Samaritan woman? I'm I'm interested in any connections that you saw. Yeah. So what we see in Genesis 34, and this is, you know, I I, I really always try to take some time and and prepare people. We're going to talk mm-hmm. about some really hard things that women and men um, endure and, you know, sexual abuse, assault, um, any, if any of that is triggers for any of your listeners, this is the time to really discern, you know, do I want to lean into this conversation now? Is now the right time? Or should I yeah. like fast forward? Maybe I should come back to this conversation. I just want everybody to have a heads up. But Dinah's story is tragic. You know, she's um, living in a place called Shechem. And she's raped by a man named Shechem. And her rapist daddy owned everything, all the land, and Jacob had bought his land from him. So Leah is, I mean, uh, Dinah is Jacob's daughter with Leah. 
And the story seems ominous from the beginning. Like she just went out to meet her friends, a very normal thing to do. She wasn't doing anything wrong. Shechem sees her, becomes infatuated her, rapes her, and then becomes obsessed with her and wants to marry her. And probably not for good reason, not to restore her dignity or make sure she had a future as a new, Near Eastern you know, woman. No, I mean, he, his motives were so impure and disgusting, really. And so then what happens is Jacob sells her to her rapist to marry, makes a deal. And Dinah's brothers make the deal. And uh, their deal is that, okay, we'll give you Dinah, which, oh my goodness, we need to pause. Like, this is so wrong. This is not what God wanted. This is not what he has intended. Like, this, God is not okay with the story. And I'm going to tell you why. Mm-hmm. Um, because God doesn't want any of his daughters or sons treated like this. But Jacob yeah. agrees to the marriage and the brothers are really the ones that negotiate it. And the brothers are infuriated that their sister has been raped and treated this way. And they start plotting their revenge. And they say, you know what? We'll give her hand in marriage, but we'll make all of these Gentiles get um, circumcised. Now, that kind of surgery without some anesthesia way back in the day, that was very painful for some grown men. And so they had all the men get circumcised. And then on the third day, when they knew their wounds were most fresh and painful, they went in and Dinah's brothers avenged her rape and killed everybody. So now we have like mass murder at the end of the chapter. Okay, so just you never hear Dinah's voice in all of scripture. Um, Her daddy never talked to her about what happened to her, her trauma. It doesn't seem like it. And just a few chapters later, when Joseph is thought to be dead, Jacob rips his clothes off and, you know, puts his fist to the sky. And we don't see him respond that way to Dinah's trauma. It's tragic, you know, on so many levels, it's like there's Jacob's failure, there's Shechem's failure, there's the brother's failures, there's the mass murder, then there's Dinah's trauma. It's so complex. And you close the chapter, you're like, what just happened? This is, the Bible is so crazy. And here you have hundreds of years later, Jesus goes to a place called Shechem in the New Testament, but now it's called Sychar. It's on his travels. And John puts it this way in John's gospel. Um, John says that Jesus had to go to Sychar. And we know, like Jesse, you and I know, Jesus doesn't have to do anything. Right, right. So what John is trying to communicate is that there was divine purpose. He was intent on going to this place where everyone knew how women were treated because Dinah's story Mm. would have been well-known among everyone who lived there, even hundreds of years later. And Jesus has the longest recorded conversation in the New Testament with the nameless woman at the well. And in that conversation, he brings up her biggest pain points in life, which is not that she's a floozy, that's all fake news, but that she was a woman who had suffered probably several rounds of infertility and a divorce and probably widowhood. She lived a really hard life. And Jesus has a long conversation with her, brings up her places of trauma, offers her healing through his presence, entrusts her with theological truth. And then she becomes, the woman at the well becomes the first evangelist in the New Testament and a very effective one at that, even though her testimony is pretty pitiful. I mean, her testimony is like, could this be the Messiah? She just asks a question and then her whole city gets saved. 
is what John tells us at the end of the chapter. And so when you put these two stories next to each other and you go, you know what? These two women's stories are connected by an in-between place, Samaria. It's in between Judea and Galilee, places where Jesus's ministry was thriving. But then you have that in-between place, Samaria, where no one wanted to be. I mean, good Jews didn't go there. They hated Samaritans. There was ethnic, religious hatred and animosity. And so you've got this place where everyone knows not to go. I mean, it's where Dinah gets raped and it's where a woman at the well is treated by her society like the most marginalized figure of her time. And yet Jesus goes there. And I think what Jesus does by bringing his presence to a really broken place like Sikar, is he's reminding you and me that in our in-between places, he comes to us. Even when it's like a do not enter zone, he goes there with us. And so I want you to see these two stories if they were side by side. And I offered, I have a free download on my website, PS, that actually shows a chart of this. But here we have Dinah. She is the first and only daughter named at birth in the Old Testament. And then we have the nameless woman at the well. You know, we've got Dinah who's really almost royalty in her world. And then we have the Samaritan woman who's worthless in her society. We have Jacob, the great patriarch of the faith, saying nothing about Dinah's trauma. Here we have Jesus, the Prince of all peace, having the longest recorded conversation in the New Testament with the woman at the well. We never hear Dinah's story in the whole chapter, Genesis 34. The woman at the well's voice is heard loud and clear. In fact, she becomes the first herald of the gospel. You know, so Dinah is really never given theological parameters to understand her trauma, probably. But here we have the woman at the well being entrusted with the truth that Jesus is the living water, that his worshipers are going to worship in spirit and truth. I mean, this is revolutionary. Nicodemus didn't even understand, you know, but the woman at the well does. And so at the end of Dinah's story, everybody dies. At the end of the woman at the well story, everybody gets saved. And so I think what we need to see is that Jesus redeems our in-between places. Yeah. And I mean, I'm getting so emotional as you're telling this. I don't know what about this story is like really hitting me, hitting my spirit right now. But it's just the goodness of Jesus that it's like he reached through time and told Dinah, like, I saw you. You are not forgotten. And through this woman, your story will be amplified. And I mean, the love of Jesus is just so profound. And it it hits at all the places we think we're hiding or maybe the things we think the world won't see, but he sees them all and he loves them all. And it's just beautiful. You get it, Jess. You you yeah. you get it. What we miss in Dinah's story, what, what what our heart aches for and anticipates is a redeemer who's got to come back and make sense of this mess of our yeah. lives, of our world, of the broken systems. Someone come fix it is how we should feel at the end of mm-hmm. Dinah's story and Jesus's presence and Sikar with the woman at the well does just that. And yeah. I have a hunch, um, my, my specialty is really like Christological narrative theology. So looking for Jesus, sacred echoes of him in every part of the scriptures. And I think what we see in Jesus's travels, he was so intentional. He knew going to that city would literally upend the history of how women had been treated there, the way abusive men had been let loose in that place, and that he was putting an end to it. 
Mm-hmm. And I think we need to be reminded that when we're in an in-between place, we're like, I got a lot of history. I got a lot of baggage. I've got a lot of wounds. I've got a lot of trauma, whatever it may be to know that, you know, this woman at the well didn't have to go out and seek Jesus. He came to her. And while yeah. everybody else probably considered her a marginalized figure and probably too far gone to redeem, Jesus didn't. And then mm-hmm. the wild part of the story is that this woman at the well was, we can talk more about her, but she was in such an in-between place in society and Jesus elevates her, you know, and trusts her with truth and deep theological um, a, a paradigm shifting like spiritual truth and she shares it, she shares it effectively. And so it should be a good reminder that, you know what, Dinah's voice was silenced and never heard, but that's not what Jesus intends for his daughters. Yeah, man, that's powerful. So as people are listening to this, what would you say, I guess if there's anyone out there who feels like their past has been forgotten or they're carrying the weight and shame of trauma or just anything from their past and they're trying to move forward but feel really stuck in this in-between place, what do you have to say to them? Well, I've got stuff that I want to say about my book, but then I also have stuff that I think is just really important. You know, so so I want to answer that question. It's just going to be a two-part answer. So hang with me, okay? Okay. The first part of that answer is invite people into your story, trusted people. Seek the help of licensed professional counselors. Um, Do not overlook the need for potential for medication. Um, Go and talk to a a doctor doctor, right? Do a full workup on your body. So you have to think about mind, body, and soul. Of course, Mm. prayer, uh, you know, uh, EMDR, all the approaches that you might take for (laughs) trauma, a wounded past, whatever it is you're dealing with, I just want to encourage you, if you're listening, get every help available to you. Seek professionals Mm. that know what they're talking about. I don't know anything about those things except what I read in a book. But I know that God has provided multiple helps to help you. So Mm. your question was, oh, sorry, go ahead. Really quick, sorry to interrupt, but I feel like I really need to let someone know also that you are worthy of getting all the help. Like everything that is available, you are worthy of those resources. I think sometimes we feel like, yeah, I know that's out there, but I don't know if it'll help me or what happened to me isn't important enough. Like those are lies and you are worthy of everything that is out there to help. I co-sign that just a hundred percent. And I would add that for some Christians growing up in a Christian subculture, you may feel like those things shouldn't be taken advantage of, that you should like be able to muscle through with your faith alone. And I would just challenge you to say, your faith in God should propel you to seek out every measure of healing He could have in store for you. And yes, you are worthy. Mm -hmm. Now, the way I answer it in my book, again, Mm -hmm. I'm not a professional therapist or anything like that, but I talk about three things, making peace with your past, finding hope in your present, and moving confidently into your future. And I think that Jesus in John chapter four shows us how to do that. So to make peace with your past, it's really to become comfortable with your backstory. And I think Jesus launches into this conversation with the woman at the well and brings up the fact that she's been married several times and that she's living with someone who's not her husband. And I don't think Jesus, because I know him, and I've studied the Bible. He doesn't do this to us, wag his finger at us. Oh, got you, got you. 
I don't want to shame you and remind you of how bad you've been. He doesn't do that with her. He doesn't do that with anybody. What he is saying to her when he says, go and call your husband is, I know what you've done to survive. Like you had Mm. to have a husband to be able to survive in this culture. And whether it was infertility or widowhood or divorce, whatever reason it may be, she was having to depend on someone who wasn't even her husband. And now she's in her old age. She was just worthless in her society. And so I think you've got to find, you got to make peace with your past. And the only way to do that is to talk to Jesus about it (laughs) and to let him into the do not enter zones in our life. And then the second thing is, you know, you got to find hope in the the present. If you're in an in-between place right now, you're in total Stuckville, you're like, I don't know when this is going to end. I don't know how I got here. I don't know how to get out of here. You know, get me out. And I, sometimes I can't tell people this is going to be okay and it'll be over soon. I don't know that for sure. But what I do know is that you can have hope in your present. And Jesus says to the woman at the well that he's the living water, that, you know, she's going to run out of all these other resources in her life, but there is no depletion to God's presence. Always he will be available to us. And so that's where our hope comes from. And then I think you have to find a way to step confidently into your future when you're in an in-between place. You put one foot in front of the other. And we see this in the woman at the well story. You know, she's got this small understanding of who Jesus is, but believes he's the Messiah, goes and tells her whole town. And how does she do it? Does she like take a couple seminary classes or learn a really eloquent way to present the gospel? No, she asks a question could this be the Messiah? He just told me everything I've ever done. And they believe her enough to go and find out for themselves. She becomes an effective evangelist. And so she stepped confidently into her future, even though, you know, she didn't get like pause Jess and get her life right. You know, she, we don't know what happened after that story. Did she continue to live as a concubine? Probably so. And so I just think it's really encouraging that through Jesus's presence, we can make peace with our past. And through his living water, his Holy Spirit, we can find hope in our present. And because of his presence, we can step confidently into our future. That is all so good. Is there a time in your life where you had to overcome something and move forward um, like you're sharing with us? Yeah, I mean, I will use the most recent one during the pandemic situation. Last year, I have been the co-founder of the Polish Network for 13 years. So I spent the last decade of my life helping working women navigate their career and explore their faith in authentic community. We gather women in person and online. I host the podcast, you know, so this has really been my life's ministry is to help working women. And we, the position of executive director really outgrew my skill sets. I'm a Bible teacher. If you haven't noticed, I <laughs> love to study the Bible and I'm a Bible teacher, you know, and that's really a business um, position. It outgrew my skill sets pretty quickly. And so last year we hired Dr. Joy Dahl, new executive director of the Polish Network. And so I serve still on the board and as the host of the podcast and create resources for them. Um, But Dr. Joy Dahl started um, on March 22nd, which was the first day of shelter at home here in Dallas, where we're headquartered. And I feel like just that was so emblematic of the in-between place we were in professionally and ministry wise. I mean, Mm. here we are waiting a decade to hire someone, our very first, you know, executive director that wasn't a founder. And the first day she's in the office, she's sheltering at home in her home office. And within, you know, a matter of weeks of the pandemic beginning, our model 
was mostly gathering in local chapters around the nation. And so we canceled, you know, 40 events wow. um, in a matter of weeks. And we had to shift. We moved online and reached thousands of people with the gospel through that. And God was faithful. But what I want people to know is what an in-between place that was for me. I mean, my identity, as much as I tried to distance myself from my doing, mm-hmm. You know, you carry the title executive director for over a decade. A lot of who you are feels wrapped up in that. Yeah. And I was passing the baton. So I was already struggling with who am I beyond this title? What will Polish be? What if it grows beyond our wildest dreams, which I hope it will. And I know that it can. What if that happens? And I wasn't the person who took it to the goal line, Mm. right? You know, like I was a starter, but I didn't take it all the way. So I was dealing with all of those. And those are really emotional in-between places. Who am I? What am I doing? Why couldn't I have done it better? Why couldn't I have grown enough with the position? But I knew it was beyond me. So here I am passing the baton and then a global pandemic happens. And you're thinking, Lord, I've just been so faithful. And we've seen a lot of hard times in this ministry and yet we've continued on. And then everything shut down. So we're thriving as a ministry. There is a, there's like a neat little bow at the end of it. I know not all stories in that way, but in the middle of it, Jess, man, that was an in-between place. I was finishing the book in my car, you know, while my kid was inside at a window doing virtual school, you know, I was trying to get some peace and quiet and watch him while also (laughs) finishing writing the book. And I was like, I am in the most in-between place. You know, I, I thought that I was passing the baton on something that had so much catalytic momentum that it was about to explode as a ministry in the best possible way. And then it was a total pivot, you know? Mm. And so it just, yes, there have been a lot of in-between places in my career and my spiritual life, my personal life. But most recently I had to find hope in the present. Like, how am I going to deal with this? It was hard. Yeah, man. And through all that, you did publish the book, and we're kind of a year past that now. Looking back, what do you feel, or how do you feel like God's taken you through it, and has He showed you anything new about His character through all of that? I think what I learned the most was His tenderness. Mm. I love the power of Jesus. You know, I think of that Ephesians passage where it's like, far above all power and dominion and ruler and in all ages to come and every title that can be given, you know, Jesus is putting the church at his footstool. You know, he reigns and he rules. He's the supreme Lord of Lord and King of Kings. I love thinking about Jesus like that. And I think studying the woman at the well, identifying as a woman in an in-between place and then seeing her in her in-between place and how stuck she felt and how stuck I felt and how Jesus tenderly approaches her. Mm. You know, he is seated. And I think for a strange man to be waiting for you at a well, you know, you definitely want him to be seated and not towering or standing above the well. Or I think his posture speaks of his tenderness. I think the time, the word count he gives this woman, um, it's making me choke up now. Yeah. It speaks to his tenderness for women. Mm-hmm. and how how valuable we are, how worth we are, um, a sit a sit down face-to-face conversation with the Savior. That's how much we're worth. Yeah. And he would time, he only had three years in his ministry. And the longest recorded conversation we have is with this nameless person. Um, I so I saw his tenderness in that. I saw his mm-hmm. questions piercing but tender. I thought the way he um 
talk to her about worshiping him in spirit and in truth seems really tender as well too. And then I think um, when his disciples come back, you know, they go to get him something to eat because he's so tired. That's why he ends up at the well. And when they come back, they're shocked that he's talking to her. And we don't see any indication that Jesus tries to backtrack why he would be alone with a woman, a Samaritan, no less. It seems so tender that he commissions her, sends her to go and talk to her city and she does it. And um, I think it was really tender of him to stay three days. He ends up staying three days because the people she shares the gospel with believe her enough to go and ask Jesus more questions. They believe that he's the savior of the world, but they ask him to stay and he does. I think that has a lot of tenderness to it too. Mm -hmm. He was all about moving on when it was time to go. And he spends a lot of time there in a place he shouldn't be. And so, as you can tell, I'm very emotional. Uh, And it's, you know, I've been studying her for two years. I can't get over her. Um, But I think with the backdrop of Dinah and the backdrop of my dad Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, his death by suicide, I just, I feel like Jesus is so near and so kind and so gentle. And I'm glad because... um, I think maybe before I wrote this book, I thought in between places were things I would power through mm-hmm. with determination and I would pull myself up and I would just grit my, you know, like grin and bear it. Yeah. Yeah. And now I feel free to ask Jesus questions like she did mm-hmm. and say, essentially, are you really who you say you are? And kind of, what are you going to do with me? And it looks like what he does is he likes to talk with us and he likes to teach us and he likes to use us for his Mm -hmm. glory. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometimes he just likes to sit with us too. And like, we don't have to be doing things all the time, Mm -hmm. which I think is another aspect of his tenderness that we can just sit and like the exhale, drop your shoulders, like, Mm-hmm. I Let think it you're all gonna, go. I think you're going to love the last chapter. As I talk about a moment saying goodbye to my dad for the last time and um, f- sensing the spirit of God in that room with us and the verse that came to mind and mm-hmm. how I sense Jesus even speaking that over to me in that moment. And that is what I felt, Jess. I felt yeah. an exhale. And he was, you know, literally breathing out his last breaths. He was exhaling for the last mm-hmm. time. And I was feeling um, the presence of Jesus in a new and powerful way that was so gentle yeah. in the moment. And yeah, you'll read about that in the book, but that's kind of how I end it. Wow. I um, Last month was with my grandma as she took her last breath. And that moment of like complete release and like her entering into the presence of Jesus. Yeah. There's something so like peaceful about it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, talk about like an in-between place of like mm-hmm. ushering someone into the kingdom of God, but then being left here without them. Mm. Um, But Jesus is there and, he took her, but he stayed with me, and mm-hmm. it it that I just have have that picture in my mind of like releasing the stress and the pain, and Jesus just being there through it all. 
Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know if that made sense. I'm like verbally processing on this. <laughs> it made on my total podcast sense to me. Now. Yeah. <laughs> it made total sense to me. Yeah. Well, with all of that that you've shared, and thank you so much for sharing all of this um, and for being so like vulnerable and open with it. Um, I just feel the power of the Holy Spirit right now. And I just, I believe that this conversation is not only something I needed, but I think it's something that other people out there will really benefit from hearing. Um, So with all that being said, what would you say is your life message? Yeah, I really want women specifically to be all in for Jesus, Mm -hmm. just all in. And um, my my mission statement, my personal mission statement is to teach the Bible in such a way that it creates— curious Bible students, curious Bible students, people who want to go back that, you know, are are interested in what I have to say, but after hearing this podcast go, wait a minute, I want to go back and reread the woman at the well story in John chapter four, because there were some things I heard that now have me really curious. And that's my life mission is to get people to look again at the scriptures and do it for themselves. And I think when we do that, when we create curious Bible students, we can weather culture and circumstances so much better, even mm. when things feel like their waves are crashing down all around us and we're being tossed back and forth. I think when we're curious about the scriptures, it really anchors us to Jesus and we stay humble. You know, we start looking for answers and seeking him. And the best part is he promises he will teach us truth. Yes, I love that. We're running out of time. This went way too fast. Mm -hmm. Um, But before we go, what didn't I ask that God may be laying on your heart? Is there something I missed or any final word you have um, for someone out there? You know, I, I would say that I've got a hope guide online. And if you just, you know, you're stirred right now and you're like, I don't really care about the book, go and get the 30-day hope guide that I made. It's praying through scriptures of hope for 30 days. And I really think it'll change your life. And for those of you who do end up getting the book, I'm so glad. Tell all of your friends, leave a review, help a help a rookie author out, okay? Yes. We, we're not doing it for the money, right? We're doing it to spread God's word. But I would say that if you get the book, go ahead and go online to my website and get the the reader's guide to go with it. It's going to have some comparison charts in there that'll be really helpful as you're studying the scriptures. And it'll have more pictures of me and my family. And I think some helpful resources for you if you're a, a, a curious Bible student to start digging for yourself. So I create a lot of resources on my website and I hope it's a, a service to you guys. Mm, that's amazing. I'm excited to dig into this more. And I'm I'm going to listen to your podcast also. Yeah, <laughs> as you're absolutely. talking, I'm like, I just want more. I want to learn from you, and I want to study under you. And well, I, I hope all of my listeners do too. <laughs> you're so kind. Well, I'll send you just I'll send you some information about the Boldly Conference. So the Polish Network is hosting a conference this fall, mm. the first of its kind, a faith and work movement for women built by women. And um, I'll be one of the keynote speakers alongside of, you know, incredible CEO, executive type women have so much to teach us about faith and work. But, you know, if you're interested in my teaching, that's a really good way 
to get connected. Yes, and I'll put links to all of that in the show notes and on our blog so that any other listeners out there who are like, I want more. I don't want this to end. Yeah. Uh, it, it doesn't have to. Go find Kat and listen to her show and just... I'll be following you on everything. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Jess. I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much. What an amazing interview. If you couldn't tell, we both got kind of emotional at various points. And, you know, I just love that, like the tender heart of the Lord. We get to experience that too, these moments where inexplicably we feel just emotional and tender and raw ourselves. And I think that's like us getting a glimpse of the heart that the Father has for us. Um, So as I'm kind of reflecting back on the conversation I just had, I wanted to end our time together today by reading a passage of Scripture, my favorite Psalm, Psalm 46. And I just want to leave you with this truth today. Um, So Psalm 46 reads, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble as its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her and she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So the thing I want to leave you with today is that that passage, um, Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God is so famous, so popular and so true. But when we see it, where it comes after, where the author, um, King David here, is describing like the most tragic things that could happen, the, the destruction of the earth or the mountains falling into the sea, of these wars, of these just like anything terrible that the earth could throw at us. That's when he still says, be still and know that I am God. It's like no matter what comes against us, no matter what we face, God is still God. It doesn't shake Him. It doesn't shatter Him. It doesn't change Him. And so we can rest in that promise. We can rest in that stillness. And I just love that. I will never get sick of Psalm 46. It's a good one. So I'm going to leave you there with that today. Um, Seriously, check out Kat. Get her book. The links are all um, in the show notes below. It's called The In-Between Place. And... um, just soak in Kat's teaching because she is a gifted Bible teacher. I know I enjoyed listening to her. So I hope you have a wonderful week. Uh, Please rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't already. And I'll see you next time. 
Thank you for listening to The Collected Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love it if you'd help spread the word. Check back here for new episodes dropping every other Thursday. You can follow along on social media at Collected Ministries. If you would like to support Collected by making a tax-deductible contribution, please visit collectedministries.org slash donate. The Collected Podcast is also on Patreon at patreon.com slash thecollectedpodcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Become a patron for as little as a dollar a month to gain access to bonus content, early bird ticket sales, giveaways, and more. You can also find Tia at Tia McNelly Notes and Jess at Spreza Foundry. Collected proudly supports and partners with Flourish Kenya, a nonprofit working to support and prevent unplanned adolescent pregnancy in rural Kenya. Learn more at flourishkenya.org. The Collected Podcast is produced by Jess Biondo and edited by Jacob Early. Music is by Asaf Elan.